0: My mother called up my boss at Turner Construction. Um, Turner is a large national contractor with their main office uh, headquartered in New York City. Mm -hmm. And she told my boss, my daughter's quitting today. (laughs) (laughs) And she's coming to work for her family firm.
1: That is Cheryl McKissick Daniel. And if she sounds proud of her family, well, she has good reason. Cheryl is the fifth generation of her family to lead what is the oldest minority and women-owned professional design and construction firm in the nation, McKissick and McKissick. Over the years, as president and CEO, Cheryl has taken this company with this long and rich history and made that legacy shine even brighter. I am Sharon Bowen, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear we are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. There was a time when she was younger when Cheryl McKissick thought she wanted to work somewhere other than the family business. But it's quite a family and quite a business. The company traces its roots back to a slave named Moses McKissick who learned the art of brickmaking. By 2000, when Cheryl was ready to take the reins, McKissick and McKissick was doing well, but she moved it to even higher levels. By 2019, the company was generating $50 million in revenues, and it has worked on some of the most important projects in the New York area, including at JFK and LaGuardia Airports and the Barclays Center. Listen and learn why Cheryl McKissick Daniel is one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. So Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us. First, Cheryl, can you tell us what is McKissick and how long has your company been around?
0: So McKissick and McKissick is the nation's old Black-owned design and construction firm. Uh, We date back five generations to the late 1700s, early 1800s. However, we did not incorporate until 1905 in Nashville, Tennessee. We are Uh, architects, and we are builders, construction managers, general contractors, and program managers.
1: That sounds like you do a lot. So so when did you step into your your current role as president and and CEO?
0: So I have to go back um, to our history, which I think might be quite interesting Mm -hmm. uh, for our listening audience. Um, As I said, the first descendant of our family came here as a slave. His name was Moses McKissick, and he was taught the trade of making bricks. We believe that he received his freedom around 1860 or 1865 uh, because he was able to give 365,000 bricks to a wealthy family in Tennessee named the Cheers family. And they built their mansion from those bricks, and that mansion is still standing and bears the cornerstone of Moses McKissick I. Moses McKissick's son, Moses McKissick II, was a master carpenter. Um, that was a trade back in the day for construction. And he was known for his spiral staircases and gingerbread finishes in homes in the South. But most notably, he worked on the Maxwell House Hotel in right downtown Nashville, Tennessee, where six presidents actually stayed and visited. He had Seven girls and then seven boys. Oh, a big family, right? His first son was Moses McKissick the third. But because he wanted a son, every time he had a girl, Moses had seven names. He had the names of all the boys that he thought he was going to have. Wow. <laughs> so his name is is weird. Moses Henry John Edward Lewis McKissick the third. And his brother is Calvin McKissick. And the two of them are the first Black licensed architects in the country with license 117 and 118 in the state of Tennessee. Wow. So if you can imagine two Black men going to take their license in the early, like 1922, that's a whole story. And we're writing a book around that.
1: You should. (laughs) Sounds like a rich history. You really should.
0: And so the company was then passed down to my father. That's fourth generation. And then my mother took over for several years when my father became ill. And then I began working in the company in 1990. My mother called up my boss at Turner Construction. Um, Turner is a large national contractor with their main office uh, headquartered in New York City. Mm -hmm. And she told my boss, my daughter's quitting today. (laughs) And she's coming to work for her family firm.
1: Okay. So that was going to be one yeah. of my questions. I was going to ask you, did you plan to join your family family's business? But I, I kind of see how that unfolded.
0: Yeah. You know, um, coming to New York and um, seeing what, what Black businesses were doing here and, and Black people in a whole. I mean, you know, I had a lot of friends who were investment bankers, as you know. Mm-hmm. I knew you, one of the most prominent attorneys in town. Um, you know, I begin to say to myself, why would I be bothered with a company in Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. even though it's my family owned business? It's my her- inheritance um, and I would be fifth generation because as a young person, you know, you don't see always the value in owning your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can tell you, I'm not sure that I would have joined a family business so soon if my mother had not stepped in and solicited my help. And, you know, following her lead has probably been one of the best things I've ever done wow. because there's the ability to create your own destiny and when you have your own business. And, and so I <laughs> look back, it's been 30 years, 31 years. It's <laughs> and, um, you know it's 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 been a terrific ride that's
1: amazing um
0: and so i'm not sure i would have done that on my own i had to be kind of forced
1: well it sounds like it was a good decision in the long run and especially given the the long and rich history thank you so much for for sharing that with us so once you joined how how did you make your own mark and execute your own vision for the company
0: well research and understanding that I had a portfolio, uh, but that portfolio really did not apply to New York. As us New Yorkers know, we're the greatest place in the world. <laughs> we don't want to hear it from people coming from out of town. We don't, you know, we, we have enough of our own here. Um, and so coming from uh, Washington, D.C., where I was in school and then having this portfolio basically from the southeast. Um, really only helped me in deciding what areas I wanted to go and pursue, and I knew that that would be architecture and construction management and so being a salesperson, I could say, Well, we did this work over here in the South, but you know we know New York is different, but I've been here working all these years, and now I understand you know all the idiosyncrasies around construction here in New york city and so My strategy was to first uh, develop strategic alliances with companies like mine that were much bigger, the Turners, the Skanskas, and a lot of those companies are, are, are gone now because they've all been swallowed up. And so to develop strategic alliances with those companies, as well as participate in the newly formed MWBE programs. I believe when I first started my business, that was probably year one or two that the state had an MWBE program and the city was beginning to start theirs with the school construction authority.
1: Can you tell us what the MBWE program? I, I know what it is, but can you tell us what that is and the role that it played in sort of your decision making?
0: So MWBE stands for Women and Minority Business Enterprises, and those are programs. Um, geared to engage minority and women-owned business firms. To be a minority and and women-owned business, more than 50%, so 51% of the company has to be owned by a woman or a minority. And over the years, New York State and New York City and various agencies and now the private sector have set up programs where um, they challenge the AEC community, which is my community, and and goods and services to make sure that they hire these types of businesses. And early on, let's say the goals were, you know, 10% or 5% of city agencies would go to MWBE firms. That has now grown to 30%. Um, and so these firms have been very instrumental in leveling the playing field for firms like ours and given us the ability to get started with very little capital um, and very little access, quite frankly, to decision makers when it comes to contracts. These programs um, have given us direct contact with um, city officials and, and commissioners um, who make the decisions on, you know, most of the contracting community, contracting uh, community for AEC, and that's architecture, engineering, and construction.
1: It sounds like not only is that a great program, but uh, sort of given where we are right now with the economy, it would seem to me we need programs like that more than ever.
0: Yes. And you know what, Sharon, we are seeing now more because what happened over time is there became a disparity within the disparity. So what a disparity study is conducted by an agency, a city, a state, to determine first what is the capacity to contract with minority and women-owned firms, and then um, what the actual goals should be as far as minority and women-owned firms. So women firms may have a goal. Minority men may have a goal, um, minority women may have a goal, And what happened over time is more women businesses begin to get more work than the minority businesses, and now the disparity studies are showing a disparity within the disparity. So recently, various um, cities like New York um, and the state of New York have started to begin programs targeting Black business or Latino business, uh, because that is where the disparity, you know, lies with the Latino and Black female receiving, you know, much less work than, than all the other categories within the MWBE program.
1: So in that regard, as a woman, not only working in construction, but leading a construction company, can you talk a little bit about what challenges that you faced or continue to face um, as an entrepreneur?
0: Early on, uh, it was all about capital. Um, we could not get a lot of credit. Um, we we um, had to meet payroll. So how do you pay payroll while you're waiting for your invoices to go through a New York City or New York uh, State um, uh, procurement department? Um, and you know what was interesting is I knew some investment bankers then and um, five investment bankers actually uh, invested in McKissick. And that's how I really got my business off the ground. They each gave me $5,000 and I had it, they gave it to me for six months. And at the end of six months, I gave them $6,000. So back then that was a good return. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a really good return. It really is. That, <laughs> that's, that, that's creative finance. I mean, in particular, you know, the access to capital, you you, you figure out a way to, to solve for that by reaching, I guess, through your own networks, um, I assume a lot of women entrepreneurs have probably done the same thing because we we do know that access to capital has been a big challenge for women um entrepreneurs and you know, again with the economy being as it is today, this 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 issue is is really prominent.
0: I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, as a result of the interest of these investment bankers, I've never forgotten that and what that meant for me. So all along the way. I have tried to help firms. Um, But recently, about a year ago, a good friend of mine, a black engineer, we started a firm called Legacy Engineering for the sole purpose of giving uh, young engineers ownership and allowing them to be entrepreneurs. Um, And I say that because our model is we are owners of the company right now. We've brought in four young black engineers and in 5 years we're turning the entire company over to them and we will exit. Wow. And so that's setting up, you know, black businesses for the future but also mentoring them on how to be business owners. That's excellent. Yeah, we just don't do it by ourselves. We've hired consultants to come in and teach these young men really how to be owners. Uh, So hopefully in five years, they'll be ready to take it over because I know I'll be ready to pass it over.
1: (laughs) I like the name Legacy Engineers, too. I I understand the, the, the need to pass the baton on. Yes.
0: Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. you were talking about challenges and you know we have had to deal with challenges my company has overcome slavery okay slavery jim crow but when it comes to my last 30 years you know i think one of the things we deal with and struggle with as a minority firm is people still think that we provide our our services are inferior and that they cost more, and you'd you'd be surprised how I still hear that. Um, that you know we don't have any reach. Um, you know that we're 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 not thinking on the scale of a larger business owner. Um, and and they're kind of like they can be you know in your face, or it could just be a microaggression. I mean, it, it's. It comes in so many different ways that sometimes you have to sit and think to yourself, do I even want to deal with that right now?
1: Now, I, I know that you've worked on some incredibly impressive projects uh, along the way. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those projects? And how did you know when to take a risk on a big project? And, and how, did you, how did you tell like, which ones weren't quite the right fit for you?
0: We have had the pleasure of working on some very wonderful projects, iconic projects for New York. Um, you know, we were on the Tappan Sea Bridge, LaGuardia Airport, um, Delta Terminal, uh, Columbia, Manhattanville. We oversee the MTA's capital program and report directly to the board on every project that's over 100 Million dollars, which is most of them. Um, So I would say we report on on somewhere around 300 projects to the board on a monthly basis. Wow. And we've had that contract for 10 years. Um, And so that we are, I am blessed to have that. Um, Because of that contract, we've been able to build a national transit package. And we are working in LA, Florida, Miami, Dallas and Chicago. Um, So we've been able to expand off of that one project. Um, Risk is a whole nother story. I mean, we've taken on projects that we probably shouldn't have, and that's the best way to learn. You know, it's a period of time that, you know, most of our work was general contracting. We were lump sum bidding it. And, you know, in, in that environment, you can take on 10 good jobs and one bad job and go out of business. right? And so, you know, we had our ups and downs in that area of work. And I think now we've gotten it to where, you know, we're, we're comfortable with the risks that we take there. But that, that comes with experience.
1: Right, right.
0: Having uh, been hurt on projects before. You know, our new projects, were getting interest from um, the tech world. So um in the last two months, you know, we've worked with Amazon. Um, we've had several interviews with Apple and and Microsoft has a project coming up. And so that's exciting. We're seeing a lot of movement there. Our K through twelve, our higher ed, all those sectors um
1: seem to be moving even during this, you know, COVID period. I was gonna ask you a little bit about COVID, and we know that a lot of companies have had to pivot their business models and operations due to the pandemic. Um, so how has COVID impacted your business and how have you been able to pivot?
0: So it's impacted the the construction industry overall in that we have new policies, you know, the number of, of workers that can be on a site. So you have to work on shifts, the PPE required, you know, the cleaning required. So, all these things have a cost, um, and we're working through that. Um, for our company, a lot of our work is, was, was deemed essential because we do hospitals um, and infrastructure work, like at the MTA. Um, so, out of our 140 people, uh, we probably had 12 or 13 people who were furloughed, and most of those have, have come back to work. And so, you know, we've kind of been blessed. Through this, but it, it has been devastating for companies that are strictly K through twelve. Um, the school construction authority, all of their work was was um, suspended, and in the private sector, the entire private sector was suspended. Office buildings, residential, retail, all those projects were suspended under Governor Cuomo's law. But they're all coming back on online now at Terminal One. We are the program manager for the new JFK terminal at Terminal 1, which is for Carlisle. Carlisle has teamed with Jim Reynolds from Loop Capital as well as Magic Johnson Enterprises to build. Originally, it was a $6 billion terminal. We've now reduced the scope somewhat and will build out parts of the terminal later because the airlines are saying they will not be back online full scale.
1: And this is optimistic till 2024. The good news is that we're fighting through, through this difficult moment um, and, and being resilient, you know, particularly as New Yorkers, we're, we're pretty resilient people. Um, you know, as you know, having gone through you know, 9-11 and, and a number of other crises. At this time, knowing what you do know, um, was there one piece of advice that you got that was crucial to your success or your career path?
0: I would say there are two specific things that I have taken for me. One is out of my grandfather and his brother's book, and that is relationships. Because those, they were two men, Black men, doing business where there were no MWBE programs. Mm-hmm. Everything that they did was based on some relationship that they had. Um, and the same was true for my father. Um, so building relationships, um, I think, is key. But I also think it's important to think big. You have to think outside of the realm of what you can see. Um, I think you need to, you know, for me, it was standing in Jersey City, looking across the water at huge Manhattan, saying to myself, one day I'm going to be the largest black owned construction company over there, over there. Cause I wasn't even living in Manhattan. And so I, you know, I think, uh, having the thoughts um, of where you can go. You know, I heard someone say recently the Green Book, which used to tell black people where they could stay in the South, mm-hmm. is really just Airbnb today. Um, and so that's this thinking that could have been a possibility for the
1: person who came up with the Green Book. Yes, that's that. Uh, I, I like that analogy. So I assume that, that your advice to young entrepreneurs who are moving up in their career path, it sounds to me that you would give them that same piece of advice in terms of building relationships and thinking big. Any other sort of pearls of wisdom that you would, would share with them?
0: You know, it's, it's really the truth of the matter is being an entrepreneur has uh, its ups and downs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be an ebb and flow. Um, And there are going to be some really low periods. It's not always good. And my road that I travel, I would say I have been working at this for 30 years. And it's only been the last five years where I felt like, you know what, Cheryl? You're finally at a point where you feel comfortable. Yes. You're not worried about what's coming around the corner with respect to anything that's in my power. You can stand in your own shoes and talk to anybody about anything in your industry um, without feeling, you know, nervous or inadequate. And, you know, you're being recognized in your industry by your others as being a mentor, um, as giving back to minority firms. Um, And so I'm just saying it's a journey. (laughs) It's a journey.
1: It's a journey. Yes. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a journey that um, you have navigated it quite well. And, and I, I, I do know about the ups and downs uh, uh, of career paths. Um, and, you know, being positive is really important. So in this moment in time, what makes you optimistic?
0: Well, um, I think that basically people are good. Or they want good. They want the best. And in this period where you know the racial inequalities that other people are seeing, I mean, I think we've been seeing it forever. When I was nine at a friend's house uh, for a birthday party, we came outside, there was a huge cross burning in the yard in Nashville, Tennessee. So I mean that kind of changed my existence and my world. Um, and so what I'm seeing now is everybody is beginning to understand, if they want to, that there is a racial inequality in this country. And a lot of them are thinking, we need to do something about it. And that is extremely encouraging. So, I mean, I hope it really amounts to something.
1: I'm optimistic there um, as well. And uh, look forward to <laughs> To what the future we can we can recreate a, a better world, um you know, which is important. It is. So as we wind down, let me ask, is, is there one particular question that you wished I have I should have asked you?
0: Who is my mentor?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Who was <laughs> your who who was your mentor?
0: <laughs> my mother. <laughs>
1: oh, that's great. That's great.
0: Here's a lady who had a master's degree in psychology who took over a business in the 80s, early 80s, when women were not supposed to be in construction. And she had the foresight and fortitude to know that she needed to hold on to this business and make sure that her three daughters, not a son, her three daughters followed in her footsteps and in the footsteps
1: of their ancestors. That's great. I'm sure she's extremely proud of you and and what you have accomplished. And I do know that you've got some brilliant sisters. Um, I've met at least one of them.
0: Yes, you have.
1: Yes, Yes, you have.
0: My twin sister is the architect of record for the Martin Luther King Memorial, and she's program manager for uh, the African-American Museum, and she's program manager for the Barack Obama Library.
1: Well, it sounds like the blood really was running deep uh, from your ancestors in terms of you had no choice but to be in the field that, you, that you're in. And what a great, uh, you know, legacy and, uh, to, to see your family business uh, thrive, um, you know, as it, as it has. Thank you so much for joining us. And I know that our listeners will be inspired by what you shared with us today. So thank you so much, Cheryl. There is so much to learn from Cheryl McKissick Daniel. Here are three things that stuck with me from that conversation. First, of course, is the importance of family. Cheryl probably wouldn't have joined McKissick and McKissick if her mother hadn't asked for help. But saying yes and following her mother's lead was one of the best things Cheryl's ever done. Second, paying it forward to the next generation should extend beyond family, Cheryl and a friend created Legacy Engineering for the sole purpose of giving young engineers ownership and allowing them to be entrepreneurs. That's the way to build a solid future for young people and for the firm. Finally, never underestimate the power of women to inspire and move each other. Cheryl's mother took over McKissick & McKissick back in the 1980s when women were not supposed to be in construction. And she made sure that her daughters all went on to great professional success. Tune in next Thursday to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear.
0: Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner PG. Have a great day.